with the Attorney Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, welcome to this session where we are exploring who are we anyway, the realities and challenges of the culture of law now under the COVID-19 crisis. I'm joined today as always by uh, my co-host, Dr. Carrie O'Hara, clinical psychologist from Saratoga Springs, New York. And our special guest today is someone I've known for years and years, Ms. Kathleen Fife, a culture sleuth, change strategist, and community builder. I know for a fact that she is an expert in all three things. I've seen her do it single-handedly more than once. Kathleen works with organizations and leaders to help them see who they are, how they show up, and how this impacts their goals, communication, and future successes. Always willing to ask the hard questions about systems and intentions, she assists her clients in breaking through barriers and previous challenges to grow and thrive, often in areas they couldn't even realize before that they could improve. So I couldn't think of anyone better uh, to join Carrie and I today to talk about the culture of law than Kathleen Fife. So I want to say welcome, Kathleen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you and Carrie. Thank you. So um, what I thought I would start with is sort of the foundational culture of law, um, as Carrie and I understand it from the research and um, as we pop around the state and um, work with people, teach and conduct workshops um, over the last three or four years, Carrie, I think it's been, yeah. um, looking at the culture of law and, um, and what we've heard in our travels and then pitch it to Kathleen um, to look at what questions we should be asking and how the stay-at-home orders, especially for lawyers in New York, have been affected and how cultural uh, issues may be shifting even uh, without intention, uh, certainly by circumstance. So Kara, what do you, I'll start with you. What do we know about the culture of law from a clinical perspective and, 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 um, and the framework from which we're starting? Well, Libby, I, I often think about probably one of the first conversations that you and I had about this, and we were um, talking over the Krieger article, um, and we were just bantering around about what law school is like and, and what the culture of law firms um, is like and what, what they promote. And, and I recall saying to you that uh, what is reinforced and necessary to be effective in the field of law is exactly oftentimes what I'm working with people on to step away from in order to treat their depression, anxiety, substance abuse problems, etc. Um, so I think one of the, the biggest things that I see culturally is that people are um, taught to disconnect from emotional experiencing and to um, come at things purely logical, which of course is needed as a lawyer, but as a you know, parent, spouse, human being can create a lot of problems. Um, unrealistic goals and expectations, promoting perfectionism, huge. Um, so every day you could have done more, should have done more, could have done better, um, which very problematic and um, sort of like this um, promotion of unrealistic control that you should have influence over things that are humanly and, and there's hundreds of them but those are three of the big ones that jump to my mind as a as a culture 
Sure. So unrealistic expectations, um, sort of beyond my human capacity. Yes. Uh, and, and addiction to perfection as built into the profession, as well as um, an overestimation of the power and control that we actually have. So those three things, I think, are, um, as, I, as I said, I think as Carrie and I travel, enormously discussed among um, any aspect of law, whether that be from the support staff to the senior partner to a government, um, uh, a governmental attorney, an agency attorney, those things we see across the board and, um, and are likely born in law school from what the research is showing. And so to pitch it over to Kathleen, who is a culture uh, strategist and, and works on these types of ideas by bringing people together, I've often heard you, Kathleen, ask the question, what is rewarded here? That, that's oftentimes, I think, your entree, maybe it's not your entree, but it's where you drive to in the beginning, um, is actually looking at where you are rewarded is where you will get more of. So can you talk a little bit about that piece and that reward system culture relationship? Sure, sure. I think, um, and to Carrie's point, uh, that culture that seems really prevalent in the industry as a whole um, is, it has to first, there has to be an awareness of it at the beginning. That's one of the first challenges is that attorneys need to have the ability to be able to see the environment in which, in which they are sitting. So they have to know that there's those three detrimental um, inherent cultural biases. But um, culture is an interesting thing because whether you decide to pay attention to it or not, it is created. So you can um, check out of culture entirely, but do not think that that doesn't mean that it, mm -hmm. it, that it doesn't exist within your organization. And that could be a family organization, a business organization, a faith-based organization. Culture is created by what is rewarded by the group as a whole, but it's also created by what is supported. So you can reward people for something. You can support them in something which adds to the culture, but even more dangerously, what is tolerated also creates your culture. So when there are things happening within an organization that is not helpful, in fact, is actually detrimental to the organization, when that is allowed to continue to exist, it is part of how we function. It is part of what has value and meaning here, even when it's the dark side of things. So that awareness, I think, of the, the culture, both through rewards, supporting, and tolerance, is really something important to pay attention to. And Kathleen, how would you start an awareness discussion? With, with uh, to, to sort of, uh, where does that usually begin? Because um, I think what I hear you describing is cultural blind spots, um, yes. where, where you don't necessarily, uh, because if you came up through law school and you came up through a particular place and a particular set of systems as you describe them, tolerance, uh, support, and reward, then, um, then you may not know. So what would, where do you start when you do your work? One of the best things that we can do is ask questions. And sometimes asking the question can be just as important, if not more important than the answer itself. And one of the easiest entrees I have found is to ask what has value and meaning here. Mm -hmm. And 
that can be asked in so many different ways and by anyone who's in the organization. It doesn't matter if you are support staff or a paralegal or a junior partner or a senior partner. You can ask that question, which helps you to start to recognize what's happening around you and helps it can help to start providing um, just an understanding. Of, of the situation itself, right? I mean, where- exactly. Uh, just any entree where the light gets in, right? Just anything that starts to shine the light. And Carrie, can you talk a little bit about how systems get entrenched from this, from a psychological standpoint, and and how what is it? What, how do we start to begin to um, let the light shine on maybe blind spots? Well, I, I Kathleen, I love um, you know the idea of that particular question, um, and questioning is. It's absolutely the way to go oh, in the sense that, you know, Kathleen asking that question or anyone uh, allows for an answer to be produced, but doesn't put the other or the culture uh, even enter into this stuff. But um, part of the problem with these blind spots uh, is that um, in these type of environments, the uh, pathological or the unhealthy expectations are actually supposed to work, you know, 16 hours a day and not return home and, and don't take bathroom breaks and don't have lunch and so on. And so um, I think to just asking yourself those values and expectations and where you were taught those things and how they're affecting you truly and being curious about that because um, we're getting feedback all the time from those around us, maybe not in the workforce because they are sort of in the same culture and underscoring it. But if you're hearing things from your family, from friends um, who are saying, you know, we haven't we haven't seen you in weeks. Where have you been? You know, you're not getting home until 10 o'clock at night. And I feel like you're being a lawyer with me and not a spouse and so on. Be curious about those things because it's people outside your culture pointing out that something is askew here. Um, and those are some of the cues, I think, that we need to tune into. And that, thank you. And Kathleen, my, my question to you is... Um, you know, as you do your cultural assessments and as you begin to poke through, um, you know, some of the things that you're exploring with a group, <clears throat> Carrie's describing, I think, people who might suddenly realize that they are out of alignment with the culture in which they find themselves and that it is destructive. And so my question um, to you would be, um, what is the pathway um, for that? Where are the places of agency and empowerment um, if the culture does feel um, out, out of alignment? I won't say negative or positive, but out of alignment. Yeah, out, out of alignment. Um, you, we use those that language and it's interesting because people say, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm out of alignment? You know when you are out of alignment. It feels <laughs> icky. It is not a good feeling. So trust that because that's an, an important thing. And I, I wouldn't sugarcoat any of this and say that it's, it's simple. Culture change is change and we are human and it is not simple. 
especially if you are someone in a larger firm that's been operating with a specific culture for a very long time, you're not going to walk in one day and change everything. But it's important to remember, especially as attorneys who have been trained in certain ways, that there are elements of your life in which you have complete control. Complete control. Unless you abdicate that control and give it to someone else, which I suggest you don't do. It's very unempowering. But if, when you can take the time to recognize what you actually really do have control over, and one of the most important things that everyone has control over, regardless of your background experiences and uh, expertise or schooling, is the gap in between stimulus and response. Um, that's one of the most important things that we can maintain our control over. And um, as, as attorneys, that, that could be a culture that's bothering you within your organization and recognize when you start to feel that out of alignment, that icky, that pit in your stomach, that you take that pause to say, okay, what do I have control over in this situation? Because that alone can start to empower. I think another really important thing is to be willing to be the leader, as I said before, regardless of your position, who's willing to ask the questions of not only what has value, but also a, a, another question I found really helpful is, is that true? Is the assumption that I'm making in this certain situation, is this true? Or is this a storyline that I've told myself or a storyline that um, I have um, practiced because of the culture in this organization? Because sometimes the stories that we tell ourselves actually aren't true. And that's another really great awareness that can help us personally and also help us with organizational culture. Thank you. Carrie, what do you, thank you. I, that brings up, I think for me, the, the question that we actually in this podcast series have already hit on a few times, which is where, uh, so obviously it's thematic, right? But where is the place of, um, if we don't have control over so many things, especially in what we're living through right now, what do we have control over? And that comes up in the well-being roundtable. It's come up in the podcast already. What are your thoughts about what Kathleen is suggesting, which is our real empowerment is between um, what is coming at us and how we respond versus react. Can you just talk a little bit about that from the clinical side? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, the reality is right now there is so much that we cannot control. And, you know, there's this concept in, in, um, uh, DBT called radical acceptance. And, you know, the idea that we create suffering for ourselves when we continue to put our attention and focus towards problem solving or engaging with things that we can never control and we can never alter, like many things about the situation we're in now or constant anticipation of fixing things in the future that we can't control. Staying in the here and now and also recognizing that the only thing we have control over truly is ourselves and our own reaction to things is where you'll find the empowerment. So um, instead of trying to, let's say, get off problems in the future that you can't even begin to know what those things are. Instead, turning the attention toward yourself and, and simply saying things like, no matter what comes, I have the agency 
and the resiliency to deal and cope with what is to happen, whatever that may be. So instead of trying to control out there, just trying to realize that, that we are the center and the groundedness um, alleviates a whole lot of fruitless sort of milling about. Um, but I do think that taking a look at these questions that Kathleen's talking about, like, is it ever healthy to be working 16 hours a day without relief? Is it ever healthy to be completely sort of detached from emotional experiencing or feeling as though asking for assistance is weakness? In our, in our minds as human beings, not as a profession, but as human beings, would that ever be a healthy thing we'd want to teach our children? And if the answer to that is no, then we have to take a look at uh, the way in which we are currently uh, operating. And that brings up a lot of hard things for people because your opinion may differ from your friend. Oh, absolutely. And I, I um, you know, I, I think people know this. I've been, um, I've been an associate. I've been a junior partner. I've been the owner of a firm. I've, I've um, been general counsel to a company. So uh, I've experienced uh, the different levels of uh, influence on culture, um, depending upon the place in which I found myself. And so you know, that leads me to the question for Kathleen, based upon what Carrie just said, which is, you know, that um, that crisis is actually opportunity. And so Kathleen, what are your thoughts about some of these um, cultural questions that now may be thrust upon people that without this crisis, they wouldn't have the ability to ask or the knowledge in that um, the culture of law we think will shift because so many people have been home and in and around their children. And uh, what recommendations could you have for people to say, uh, to analyze what this meaning, uh, this time in their life, what it means for them, and and even to firms who may be looking at their culture coming out of this. What are some tips and techniques, either for the individual or the the uh, those who operate the firms themselves? It's a really great question, Libby. I think, um, and this is a question for all of humanity, but specifically now is attorneys have the opportunity, the, the world has been put on pause during COVID-19. And it wasn't a short pause, and we're still in the pause. Um, and as you said, crisis can also sometimes show up as opportunity. And we've been given this gift of removing how we were operating in whatever we considered to be normal at that time. And I hear people talking about someday we'll get back to normal and someday we'll get back to normal. Someday we'll get somewhere. Right. It will not be what was normal. And I would suggest that that is a wonderful opportunity for taking the time now to recognize what works differently, what works better, what am I recognizing that I used to do that wasn't positive? that wasn't bringing me joy, that wasn't advancing myself, my company, my well-being, my family, any of that. So it's really this wonderful gift in a strange and odd, poorly packaged way that um, <laughs> is, is giving us a, a chance to pause and to breathe 
And just as I said before, we have control over the space between stimulus and response. And this is just a giant gap that we have been given so that we can consider what actually has value and purpose in my life. How am I choosing to show up, whether that's for your, your spouse or your kids or your friends or for your coworkers or for your employees? How am I choosing to step into this space that might be different now that we've been given this gift of this pause? And I also, I also just want to touch on, um, we're finding new ways of working, of communicating, of existing with other people right now. And in this challenging, challenging, um, completely unchartered, unknown time, it's also very important to be mindful of boundaries. And that can be because you are in self-isolation with other family members and you just need to be clear about expectations. That can also be what are the boundaries that I need to put in place to keep myself safe from an industry perspective. And also, if you are a leader, what are the boundaries that you can create for those whom you are leading to help keep them safe? What can you recognize maybe exist currently or did exist um, in your firm that might not be the most supportive of your employees and colleagues and coworkers and what boundaries can you help set and encourage others to set so that they can be functioning in a, in a more healthy way once we get back to whatever it is that will become our new world. Oh, wow. So Carrie, what do you say? Cause that, that feels, yeah. that feels um, transformative. Yeah. I completely agree, Kathleen. I, I, her perspective coming at this organizationally uh, is exactly how a psychologist comes at this uh, individually. Um, and I agree. I think this is such an opportunity in a poorly packaged way, um, <laughs> but an opportunity less. Um, and what I'm trying to say to people is that we are highly intelligent human beings and to think that we have not changed, altered, been affected or learned from this uh, is unrealistic. So none of us should want to go back to what was before, but we are gaining knowledge, information, um, skills, strategies that we should take a look at. We will benefit from these things um, and, and hopefully create new ways of being and patterns and realize priorities and what is valued, et cetera. Um, and, and I really hope that um, leaders in um, the law world will heed what you just said. And, and the reality is maybe before we thought, you know, not having employees in the office for 14 hours a day, six days a week, that it had to happen that way. No, it doesn't. You know, we're, we're experiencing that right now. It's, it doesn't need to happen. Um, and finding how we can continue what's working right now well. And I, what I hear Kathleen saying especially is that if you are in a position of leadership um, in an organization, 
that it would be short-sighted to, uh, to think that your people are going to come back in the same way that they left or that the organization or even your clients are going to be in the same position that they were. And so one of the things I love the most about Kathleen's approach is this be open to outcome, meaning um, that those leaders who are nimble and who are responsive and who are thoughtful in real time with what really is happening are the ones who will best be able to navigate what is to come, whatever that might be. Is that right, Kathleen? Absolutely, no question. As I, you know, the, the question is sometimes more important than the answer, um, but it is extremely important to be open to outcome and not already predetermined, which I know is hard for attorneys because that's how you've been trained to think <laughs> of every possible outcome that could happen and navigate the waters. Um, this is an opportunity to say what else is possible to people and then listen. Because if you can be open to the outcomes of what other people's ideas might be, and to your point, Libby, no one's going to show up as we were previously. The world has been changed. And um, it's, it's prime opportunity to take advantage of this shift and to say what else is possible, what could look different, and then listening to those questions as a leader and, and help restructure because you could end up with something a lot better than what you had. Right. If not this, something better, right? Isn't that what we always say? That's right. That's right. So if not this, something better. And, and that's the, you know, um, for me as a, as, a, as a partner and as a lawyer, um, it was always foundational for me uh, to say uh, when something shifted underneath my feet, uh, over which most of the time I didn't have any control, okay, if not that, then, then something better. Or in the many times that you and I have talked mm -hmm. to Kathleen, what else is possible then? Um, and to always be forward thinking and to always be anticipating change because it's the only thing that's constant, right, Carrie? I mean, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what we're talking about is psychological and organizational resiliency. Uh, which one of the foundations is got to be flexibility and being able to sway and bend and adapt. And that requires us to accept change, which we have a hard time with a lot of times. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And if, thank and, and I agree. And if lawyers have gotten used to um, taking their dog for an hour walk, or um, be able to eat dinner with their children, it's going to be, I think, again, I'm not a culture expert. I would imagine as an employer, it's going to be something I'm going to have to assess in a cultural shift. Yes, Kathleen? Absolutely. And here's reality, right? When you have happy employees, they do better work. It's, it's, not, it's not debatable. When people are at their best and feel their best, they're going to show up in their best. And um, Yves Chavon, who, who is the founder of Patagonia, wrote a wonderful book that says, let my people go surfing. And it's all about the culture of Patagonia, which is an amazing, very quick read with lots of good photos from the 70s. You should totally check it out. But he, <laughs> he said in that book, why would I build a company that nobody wants to work for? Yeah. It's so simple and it's so true. 
So if we have firms where people love showing up and they are feeling healthy and balanced and they're having dinner with their kids and walking their dogs and all of that, it's going to impact everything else because culture is what is rewarded, supported, and tolerated. The better you take care of your people, the better your culture will be, the better your organization will function. And that's been, <clears throat> thank you, because that's been proven, and I think in Larry Krieger's work and some other um, uh, evidence-based or empirical studies of lawyers, which is that productivity, um, uh, the, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to say perfection, but that sort of make less mistakes, um, have uh, uh, in a greater sense of well-being, less mental health days, all of those things are supported from an yeah. point with this issue. Yes, Carrie, am I right? Hands down. I mean, um, and I think that uh, ifs that um, you will get people working better um, you will get uh, fewer mistakes. I mean, the reality is when people are overwhelmed with stress, uh, with anxiety, when they're not taking care of themselves, when they are depressed or utilizing, you know, substances as a way of coping with an environment that feels insurmountable, um, we're, we're going to be much more highly distractible. We are not going to work as efficiently. We are less attentive to details. Um, you're going to take more sick days, you know, all of these kind of things. You, we will create better lawyers if we reduce stressful work environments. And that's just science, pure fact. And, I, and thank you. And I think that, um, you know, as it just feels to me that this is such a timely issue because of this massive um, shift and that out of everybody's control. So even if you didn't and you weren't inclined to want to look at culture six weeks ago, you are now um, <laughs> because yeah. so much has shifted. So with that being said, we did say um, that we would chat with Kathleen about her recommendations across three, three avenues, sort of the best tools or, or tips for if you're a leader, a partner, a manager, a department head, if you find yourself as an associate or a junior lawyer, and then also administrative support staff, what are some things you can do? And so I know I heard you start, Kathleen, and we'll, we'll come back to it, but partnership and leadership, be nimble, right? But what else? Uh, be nimble, uh, be flexible, be willing to listen. Big, that's very big because um, a, a mistake leaders often make is thinking that we have all of the answers and really a, a leader's job is to support those people for whom they actually serve. So I think that th those can be really important um, things to pay attention to in, in ourselves. And, and again, through the culture is the steps that you take and how you reward and support and tolerate the rest of your staff is a trickle down. So being mindful of what you reward, support and tolerate is, is really an important thing. And then for those who find themselves, and, and this came out yesterday during the roundtable round significantly, was those in, who play what we call the gatekeeper or the bridge role, both as a subordinate and then also a supervisor. So imparting instructions, not necessarily knowing why, 
you know, having to be able to, to give instruction to support staff while also having to be responsible to partners. What would you say to somebody in that mid-level who doesn't have as much agency or power but finds themselves in the culture nonetheless? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting position, that person in the middle, because you have to wear two different hats um, and you, you try your best to wear both of them well. I think when you're in that role where you are both responsible for and responsible to, one of the best tools that you can hone in on um, to, to help you wear those two hats are clear expectations. So really being able to understand what it is that's being asked of you, um, and then also being able to um, make expectations to those who are reporting to you clear. And again, it comes back to questions. So what I believe I heard you say was, could you clarify for me around um, that expectations are, are either really, really wonderful things because there's clarity or they're rotten and they dismantle everything because there wasn't clarity and all of communication breaks down. So I would say, especially for those who are in that middle range, um, really pay attention to, to expectations. Okay, thank you. Um, and then finally, for our friends who find themselves in the administrative or support staff position, um, any thoughts? Because I think what we've heard as we've traveled around the state is those folks feel like they have the least power to affect culture and change. So what would you say to people who just don't have, um, who maybe don't have the same access to power? Where can they be um, influencing culture for themselves? Yeah. And, and I've, you've shared stories with me, you know, over the years of, you know, maybe a, a decision gets made and it happened after hours, but the person responsible for the execution of the decision wasn't included in that and comes in first thing in the morning and is completely thrown out of whack because they weren't part of making those choices and, and those decisions. I, I always come back to asking questions while also recognizing that support staff is supposed to be supportive. And sometimes it can come across when you're asking questions that um, maybe, I don't wanna to ask too many questions because maybe I'll, I'll come across as not being capable. So I think being able to offer information to those who you're supporting so they can understand your role in all of this and just reminding people, it is helpful for me to better support you if I'm given X information. Um, it's, it's communications and, and clarity and remembering again what you do have control over and uh, doing the best that you can with the stuff that you actually have authority over. That's like a deep, that's a deep level of acceptance. Um, that's that radical acceptance piece, Carrie, that this is where I find myself and the greatest gift I can give to myself in this moment is the gift of acceptance and not to take it personally, right? I mean, I, you've taught yeah. me that. Yeah, and I think um, not to see your your work in a silo, right? That, you know, if I was to take a look at, you know, and, and Libby and I often talk about these eight dimensions of wellness, and for me to take a look at myself, um, not just in a silo with work, but to see myself in the gestalt, as we call it, or in every aspect of my life. And when I find that I don't have a lot of um, 
autonomy or ability to change things in my work life, that's when I need to say, okay, what other areas of my life can I feel uh, more efficacious and more, more able to change uh, certain things in control as a, a way to offset the fact that right now at work, it's not a great time and I'm, you know, I'm feeling like I can't impact things. There are other areas of your life that you can turn toward. So not kind of siloing each of these dimensions off, but seeing yourself as a whole. And, and that can kind of, um, it'll shift, you know, from time to time. Maybe you don't have control too much at, at home and you might have a little more at work or in, you know, other arenas. So trying to balance all of it out and not putting all of it, like work has to change immediately. What do you say, Kathleen? Thank you, Carrie. I completely agree. I mean, we're multifaceted beings. That's, that's how we're created. And it's, um, you, you, again, recognizing what you do and don't have control over. And if you don't have control over something in your professional organization that's frustrating you, um, spending time harping on that or anticipating, you know, the, what this is going to mean in the future is not going to be helpful. And so to Carrie's point, um, what is helpful is to find places, other places in your life um, at that time. And it will, it'll be a constant shift and a constant ebb and flow. And back to um, words we were using earlier, which is being nimble and being flexible and recognizing um, that you don't know what outcomes are going to be. And the more you can be open to what, how things show up and paying attention to how you show up um, will make all the difference. And we'll end it there with, with personal empowerment, which is one of my favorite topics in the entire world. Mm. Being a leader of one, right, Kathleen? Mm. Be a leader of one. That's right. Um, so I want to say, I know our time um, has expired. I want to thank my, my friend, my colleague, um, someone who has mentored and taught me a ton in my life, is Kathleen Fife for joining us. And as always, um, my, my partner, uh, who also teaches me tons of things and is always willing to join Cool. Dr. Carrie O'Hara. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was great. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.